scriptural reading is from Luke 19 verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever been in a situation where you were or thought you were the most hated person in the room? You know what I mean? Well, I've been there. Sometimes it's just your imagination. Other times it's true. Um... Do this for me. Think about a job where you know that the person who holds this job is roundly, across the board, hated because of their job. You know, sometimes I'm on an airplane, and you know how small talk takes place. You know, people start talking, and one of the first things they say is, what do you do for a living? And I'm always trying to come up with a different description. It just, it falls flat every time. Say I'm a pastor. Sometimes they just look at you and say, hmm, and put their head back down. <laughs> Other times I say, oh, real interesting. And then they ask some ridiculous question. Sometimes, every once in a while, I think it's happened once in 20 years, somebody has actually said, oh, that's wonderful. I go to such and such church and we start a conversation. There's all kinds of responses, but it's an odd response usually. And I've thought over the years about what I really want to say when somebody asks that. And uh, one of the things I thought about saying is uh, when somebody asks, what do you do? I'd say I'm a rancher. Like a rancher? And and then if they said, yeah, so what what is it that you do as a rancher? I said, well, I herd cats. (laughs) And then I tell them, no, really, I'm a pastor. But it's about the same thing. Yeah, that's pretty bad. No, there's another thing I've thought of. Actually, I've never done it. One of these days I'm going to. Somebody says, uh, so what do you do for a living? I'm going to say, I'm an IRS agent. <laughs> you know what? I, I bet you if you did that, somebody would say, can I have another seat? It's like, I don't want to be next to this guy. Or, or how about this vocation, right? An IRS agent, nobody claims they know an IRS agent. You ever met anybody who's had a friend? Oh, Oh my goodness, I'm sorry, somebody's dad's an IRS agent. That was awful. Well, I may walk into a trap here too, but here's another one. Right? How about being 
a parking enforcement officer. Is there anybody more despised on the earth than that? I mean, you know, on occasion, you might be happy to see a cop come along, right? I mean, he might be helping you out because you're broken down. There might be a crime. You might be... Nobody looks at a parking officer and says, wow, am I glad to see him. Um, nobody. I feel sorry for those people. They Surely they don't get up in the morning thinking, what am I going to do good for somebody today? What could you do good? I mean, your job is to catch people making mistakes and then give the money to the government, the local government. So you've got the picture, right? That's the story. Zacchaeus was one of those guys in this story. And the encounter happens at a place called Jericho, which makes it even better. Why? Because Jericho was a hub of industry, and what I mean by that is international trade. And where there is trade and commerce, there is money for the government. I'm going to walk over here and uh, point out something on this map, because you probably can't see it very well. You'll notice there's two major red arrows coming from north to south. Okay, Let's call the one to the right, coming straight down over on the side called Ammon. Let's call that I-65, okay? The split up there at the top, that's I-69, and it's going south. Now, I want you to notice I-65 there at the top. It turns right, and it goes to Babylon. Babylon is the section that takes you to the far east where all the silk trade is done. That road takes you east. And there's lots of trade going out there and lots of money to be made, okay? So people coming in from that route are coming in laden with goods and they're going south. Or if they're coming from Egypt, they're doing the same thing and they're going north. And look where they all go. I-65 comes down, splits into 69, runs straight through Jericho. Coming from the south, you go right through Jericho. Coming from the north, you go right through Jericho. Coming from the east or the west, you go right through Jericho. Where the north meets the south, where the east meets the west, there is Jericho in terms of international trade. And there is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus at the heart of trade. Jericho is a wonderful city, apparently. So much so that King Herod built his winter palace there. Because he liked to be there. He also constructed a gigantic theater for himself and his friends in that location. It was famous for balsam trees, which from those trees, they made cosmetics. They had medicinal uses from those trees. And they actually made perfume from the trees. And it was lucrative. It was a desirable place to be. And there was lots of commerce. And that is where Zacchaeus is in the story. Now, when you think about the story, there's basically three characters. Well, one is a group and the other are individuals. The one group, which I'll call a character, are the people, right? The people who are following Jesus in the story. It's likely that they were mostly, if not all, Jewish folks. The other part of the story, of course, is Zacchaeus himself. And the third person in the story is Jesus. So first, the people. 
The people that are following Jesus undoubtedly are following Jesus because they want to hear his words because they think he might be Messiah. It's probably helpful for us from time to time to remind ourselves of what's going through their head when they're thinking that. Here's what's going through their head. Messiah, the notion of Messiah is absolutely, inseparably linked from deliverance. They're under the heavy hand of Rome. And as soon as you say Messiah, the first thing that comes to their mind is He is here to save us. Now when we think of the Messiah, we don't immediately think of that. We think of salvation of sins, we think of all kinds of things, the kingdom of God. But we don't think like that. That's exactly how they thought. So first, when they heard Messiah, they were thinking deliverance. Second, when they heard Messiah, they were thinking Redeemer for Israel. It would never have occurred to them that Messiah was for the whole world. It would have been inconceivable to them. That Messiah was for the world. Messiah was for Israel, the chosen people of God. So they're following Jesus. They're looking for deliverance. They're following Jesus and they're saying, he's the one that's going to deliver Israel. You know what else is interesting about following Messiah? When you follow Messiah, righteousness is inseparable from deliverance. In other words, you follow Messiah, remember the story of John the Baptist, and you submit to baptism and you walk with the Messiah, you're righteous so that the righteous people of God will get deliverance because they're following God. All those things are a part of their understanding of Messiah. So imagine this. Into that crowd comes Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, a tax collector. Tax collectors were considered to be the worst of the worst. They were traitors to their own people because they were Jewish themselves. And they were puppets of Rome. Their entire job, even worse than a meter officer, was taking as much money as he or she possibly could from his people to give to the Romans. Messiah. Deliverer, Zacchaeus, the enemy. Zacchaeus is with them. He's in the midst of it. There's something else about tax collectors. They're not only traitors, and they're not only those who are the puppets of Rome. They were notorious for taking bribes, payoffs, more money than they needed, and keeping it for themselves. You can see why they were so hated. But add another layer to that. This is the only place in the New Testament we hear the reference chief tax collector. Chief tax collector. That means the head of a pyramid. Everybody under you who's a tax collector is collecting money for the Roman government more than they have to for themselves and then paying the guy at the top. So not only has he made a living doing this, he's got people under him making a living and he is getting exceedingly wealthy. That's Zacchaeus in the crowd listening to Jesus. You know what's so ironic? 
is what Zacchaeus' name actually means. It means pure or righteous one. How about that? Nothing could be more impure in their minds than Zacchaeus. You know how the story goes, right? Zacchaeus is too short to really be able to see, so he climbs up in a tree. Do they still sing that song in Sunday school, anybody? Yeah, some, you want me to sing it for you? I asked the band to sing it, and they would not do it. <laughs> These musicians, I never could figure them out. I'm going to sing it, but Zacchaeus was a wee little man, or a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, come down, because I'm going to your house today. I found a picture of him. There <laughs> Um, at least that's the way the song plays. I mean, it's like, can't you see this guy up in a tree and the tree shaking and he's trying to see it and he's afraid of falling? None of those things are in the text, but we make it up. It's a great picture. Uh, it reminds us that he was in a tree. But then I did a little more research and I actually found the tree. There it is. Why aren't you laughing? You should laugh because you don't know that's the tree. Well, people say it's the tree. Honest to goodness. There's that fence around it. It's in Jericho. There's a huge sign there that says, this is the tree that Zacchaeus climbed to watch Jesus. And I look at it and I say, nice tree, right. (laughs) Authenticity, not so sure. Good for tourism, absolutely. (laughs) There are pictures of people all around this tree, all kinds of pictures. There's a picture of a couple of people in the tree. I don't know how they got over the fence and climbed up into the tree because they wanted to get a picture where Zacchaeus was. The point is, it's a really common tree in Jericho. And apparently the streets, unlike some streets in Israel and Palestine, were lined with these trees. Trees like them and other trees. Now, what you can't really tell from that picture is the branches are pretty low to the ground. Um, and the tree is so old that the branches are even higher than they would have been if that's the tree back then. Sycamore fig trees, their branches are quite low to the ground. Sometimes they almost look like a weed coming out of the ground. The trunk's so huge and the branches so long and low. So Zacchaeus had no trouble, even though he was short, getting up in this tree. He's in the tree and he's watching. You know what? It's possible, though the text doesn't tell us this, that there was another reason he was in the tree. He didn't want to be with the crowd. He's a short man in a hostile crowd, and he wants to see Jesus. Not a good combination. If there's anybody they would want to squash, it'd be Zacchaeus. So maybe he's up there for protection as well. He's in the tree. And as the story goes, this is what I probably more than anything else I love about the story. Zacchaeus is in the tree, not expecting, I don't think, to be recognized. And Jesus is walking along. And the way the story goes. He reaches the tree. And he just looks up. And he says Zacchaeus. Come down out of your tree. Because I must go to your house today. Don't you think Zacchaeus had to be shocked out of his life? He knew everybody there hated him. He knew the understanding of Messiah was deliverance from Rome. And he knew he was a puppet of Rome. And he didn't expect this potential Messiah to call him down and honor him by going to his house. 
Now, as the text tells us, you might be expecting this, even if you weren't reading it, the, the people are incensed. They are just overwrought with anger. Are you kidding me? This potential Messiah is taking the worst of sinners and going into his home to eat with him? Jesus says, yes. I'm inviting myself to your house, Zacchaeus. The text also says that Zacchaeus stands and admits to Jesus who he is. Not exactly those words. The stands, I, I wonder, where, where, where in the story did he stand? Did he come down out of the tree and then stand up? I, I think it's probably more likely that Zacchaeus is at the house with Jesus now. At least this is the way I picture it. And they're at the table. Which, you recline at a table. And Zacchaeus just stands up. And he says to Jesus, Lord, anybody I've wronged, I'm going to pay them back. As a matter of fact, Lord, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. Imagine how wealthy he had to be to give away half of what he had and still be okay. Then he said, anybody who I've defrauded, implication I have, I'm going to give him back four times the amount I took. Now, according to various Jewish laws at the time, when a voluntary restitution took place, when you were going to pay back and you admitted your crime, it wasn't required to give that much back. Most of the time it was sufficient just to return the amount you'd stolen, or maybe just a little bit more, a fifth or a tenth. Zacchaeus said four times. See, in the presence of Jesus, he just stands up and admits who he is. And Jesus' response must have stunned the crowd even more than that. He said, this man also is a son of Abraham. That must have been stunning because, again, according to certain teachings of the law, if you became a tax collector, you disinherited your rights to Abraham's line. You lost the blessing. You were outside the circle. You were done. And Jesus said, this man is a son of Abraham. There's all kinds of uh, storylines there, aren't there? And a story like this, I... I think of just four. First storyline I see is relentless persistence. Zacchaeus had to get there. He had to know the potential danger. He knew he couldn't see, so he came up with a plan. He put himself potentially in harm's way. It might not have been easy. But he didn't make excuses. He persisted relentlessly because he wanted to see Jesus. I think that's admirable. I also see something in that persistence. This is a persistent man. This is a guy that takes money from people and chases them down. This is a person who persistently and relentlessly pursues money. And then at the turn of a switch, this is a man who relentlessly pursues righteousness. Why? 
Because he's standing in the presence of Jesus. And he's overwhelmed by righteousness. Second part of the storyline I see here is what I'm alluding to. He's just honest with God. In the person of Jesus, he's honest with him. He stands in front of Jesus and he says, I, I'm not going to play games. I'm not going to hide behind some sort of veneer. I'm not going to make up excuses. I'm not gonna, this is who I am. I've been robbing people. And I'm going to stop right now. And I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to give restitution to those I've robbed. You know, in the face of Jesus, when you stand and look at Jesus, that ought to be your response. You're standing in the face of two incredible things. Absolute righteousness. The presence of God. And complete forgiveness in the person of God. And Zacchaeus encounters that. And he can't help but be transparent. Just opens up and says, I'm done with my old life. I'm turning around. Isn't it funny how we try to hide from God? I mean, what a joke, really. You can't hide from God. You remember that psalm, some of you do, maybe almost know it by heart, Psalm 139. Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know my coming and my going. You know when I'm asleep and you know when I'm awake because you see me all the time. If I fly away to the heavens, you see me there. If I go down to the depths, you see me there. If I'm in the darkness, dark is not dark to you. It's like the light of day. You see me. You understand me. You knew me before I was born. You watched me and participated in the knitting together of me in my mother's wombs. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh God! Your thoughts about me are absolutely unbelievable. You know what there is there? There's almost a a tinge of terror in the holiness of God. And an absolute comfort. That the God of the universe knows you better even than your parents. How can we hide? We can't hide. I think it's, it's, it's so interesting how we hide. I, the image that comes to mind when we supposedly hide from God is the image of one of my children when I was first teaching them how to play hide and seek. Remember those days, parents? Yeah. Teach your kid how to play hide and seek. And they really think they're hiding. They honestly do. Um, their head is under the covers and the rest of them sticking out. And they're like, oh, he'll never find me. But the best, the best image from hide and seek that I can remember from my kids is when they didn't get it yet and they thought this was hiding. I can't see you. You can't see me. So we're all good. I mean, that's kind of like the way we are with God sometimes. All kinds of parts are sticking out and he sees right through the covers. And we pretend that if he can't see us, that we can't see him, he can't see us. We can hide our intentions and our sins from everybody, but God. We can't hide from God, so why not be honest? Why not be honest with God like Zacchaeus was? It's called repentance. Third thing I see in the story is um, 
a recognition of need. See, at the very end of the story, in verse 10, Jesus says, in effect, I, says Son of Man, but I came to seek and to save those who were lost. That's what I'm here for. In other words, speaking to the people who say, you shouldn't go to his house because he's a tax collector, he says to them, that's exactly why I came to earth. To go to the house of tax collectors and prostitutes and every other kind of sinner that you have put on the outside of the circle, that's the kind of people that I came to seek and to save. Those who were lost. That's my mission. But you know what is absolutely necessary for that mission of God to be complete? Is that the person has to recognize they're lost. You've got to take part in this process. You've got to recognize your need. Awareness is huge. And Zacchaeus did. You know, I wonder about Zacchaeus. I guarantee you, I don't know, that's a pretty strong word. I really think <laughs> that when he was born into a Jewish family as a young boy and went to synagogue perhaps was taught by, taught by the rabbis in school, I would imagine he didn't start out thinking, I want to be lost. I think I want to run away from God. I think I want to get so far afield from what I know to be right that I'm robbing people blind. I want to be an enemy of all the people around me that are my friends and family and everything about... I want everybody to hate me. I want to be totally lost. Of course he didn't. It, it was just one turn after another. Before long, he was lost. You know, kind of like when you're taking a trip. When I get in a car to go somewhere, I'm not thinking, I think I'll get lost today. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking, I think I'll go to New York City or wherever it is. And then the details get a little murky and the GPS doesn't seem to be taking me the right way. And, and I get lost. And I just keep driving. <laughs> and if my wife's in the car, she says, why don't you stop for directions? And I say, I don't think we need that. We're going to be all right. And I get further lost. Because I won't recognize my need. I didn't intend to get lost. I really didn't. But I was lost. Zacchaeus had an awareness of himself at that point that became his conversion. He recognized his need. There's a fourth and final element that I see in the story. It's a divine appointment. See, at the beginning I talked about Zacchaeus and the initiative that he had. The relentless persistence that was him. The following after Jesus. The getting up in the tree. The making a way so he could see him. All that's true. But what's equally true is that Jesus had a divine appointment on his calendar that day that Zacchaeus never dreamed of. Notice how it reads. Jesus is walking along and he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, get down out of the tree because I've got to go to your house today. You think Zacchaeus was expecting that? Not in a hundred years. 
Do you think he was ready for it? Absolutely not. Was he prepared? No way. It was a moment initiated by God in the flesh, a divine appointment that Zacchaeus had no knowledge of. And when it came, he responded correctly. You know, that's equally true for all of us, right? This is our story. And there are divine appointments in your life. They come in in a variety of ways. Sometimes they come just through a friend speaking into your life. And it's God speaking to you. Sometimes they come by way of an invitation. You weren't expecting it and all of a sudden there's an invitation to be or do something. And you take that step. I mean, maybe an invitation that you didn't expect like, this is almost shameless, 12.2. You know, men's group? Or some other invitation. It happens all the time. Sometimes these invitations come at critical stages of your life. These divine appointments, they just appear because you're at a critical turn in the road. See, the question for you and for me is whenever they arrive, and they will, are you open? Are you listening? Are you ready? Are you willing? Are you willing to follow Jesus? I'm absolutely convinced that some of you this morning have had a divine appointment. Maybe before you arrived. Maybe in these last few moments. Are you willing to open up your heart and follow Jesus? It starts by recognition of need. We call that often confession. It starts by opening up your heart to God so that He can craft in you the ability to take the next step. It's a divine appointment. Be ready. Walk with God. Let's pray. God, thank you that you initiate things. Um, We often uh, think that we have plans. And like the proverb says, uh, men make their plans, but in the end, it's God who guides their steps. And so we know, Lord, we've made plans this week and last week and the month before, and we know we're going to make plans in the future. But we pray as we make those plans um, that you will guide our steps. and You'll help us to be aware and open to the fact that there are divine appointments set on our calendar that we're completely at this time unaware of. And, and when they happen, Lord, make us willing, make us ready. Give us the will to follow. In some way, Lord, we're all lost. (laughs) I mean, most of us know you. And you came to seek and to save the lost, and and you came to seek and to save us, and, and we thank you for that salvation. But we know, Lord, that we just wander away. 
We just make stupid decisions. It affects our life. It affects our loves. It affects who we are. And we often become people we never expected to be and never never really wanted to be. So, God, in, in those moments where you invade our space, give us the will to follow, to repent, to follow, and to love you as our Lord. And we'll thank you for that, that thing we call grace. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand up? We're going to respond.